Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, I want to say welcome to all of our campuses, uh, Bluntstown, Chipley, Fairhope, Wakala, and Mariana. Hey, it's so good to have all of you with us. And Fairhope, I hope you got Gray back. He had texted me, he said he was on his way back, and he'd had such a great time on his little vacation that he went on. And so um, I tried to call him last night, and he didn't answer me. So I don't know if he came back or not. But anyhow, uh, good having you back, Gray. Hey, I know you're there, man. Uh, good, to, good to have you guys. Um, so I want everybody to take out those talk notes that are inside that worship guide you received when you came in this morning. And uh, today we are in our second week of our series, because I think you're going to write some things down today, um, in the second week of a conversation or sermon series entitled, In the Meantime. And what this conversation is built around, is built around this one question. And here's the question. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Now, here's the truth of this, and we said this for the last week or so, and that is this. That there's a lot of us that have been living in that kind of tension lately, haven't we? So, so what do you do when you find yourself in a situation or circumstance that cannot be changed? What do you really do when there's nothing that you can do? And here's why we're spending this time over these four weeks talking about this question. Because some of you are starting to realize that there are some tensions that you cannot resolve, and there are some problems that you can't solve. In fact, over the course of the past couple of weeks, many of us have kind of been living in that tension or that new reality. In fact, some of our campuses, two or three of our campuses, it was like since uh, Hurricane Michael hit, many of us have had to wake up every day and try to come to grips with like this new normal and this new normal has a lot more questions than it does answers. Uh, this new normal where instead of like dreaming about the future, it's kind of been replaced with like, how do we get through or how do we survive another day? I mean, it's just that kind of new normal where you're just trying to survive. For others of you on some of our other campuses and even some of you on the campuses that got hit by the hurricane, uh, the tension wasn't a hurricane. I mean, it's like you got a report from the doctor and it's not going to kill you, but it's going to impact your life and your lifestyle from this day forward. And it's going to impact your family. I mean, it's just kind of the way that it is. And so what you do is you find yourself now in one of those in the meantime kind of circumstances. For, for others of you, it's kind of more of a relational thing. I mean, it's like you, you don't want to bust up your marriage and, and it's just not going to be the way that it used to be though. And so it's like you're in, in your relationships or in your marriage now, like you're in one of those in the meantime set of circumstances. For, for others of you, it's kind of like a financial thing. I mean, those financial dreams that you had that, you know, you held on to and you believe are going to come true, all of a sudden it's like, it's not that you really did anything wrong but suddenly there's like this brand new reality that you're facing when it comes to your finances. So the question is, no matter what in the meantime circumstance or situation you find yourself, the question is, what do you do when there's nothing that you can do? And as we said, as we started this series, it's easy to kind of come to this conclusion, something like this. There's like three lies that come to our head, and that is this, I'll never be happy again. I mean, you kind of start thinking back to like, we were happier, and there was a happier time in our life, but we'll never be happy again, or we'll never be as happy as we were again. Or then we start to think something like this, like, well, nothing good can come from this. 
And just go like, there's just no way anything good can come from this. I mean, it's tra- too traumatic to our relationship, to our finances, to our world, to, to the reality in which we live. And then there is this tendency And it often happens in moments when we're feeling a little bit of despair or despondency or discouragement. There's this thought that will happen, and that is this. There's no point in continuing. Now, let me just talk to you for just a second, because this is so important. Probably Monday night or Tuesday night, um, I woke up probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I started, my brain has just kind of been like on this... It feels like a hamster on a wheel, you know, just like going all the time, you know, thinking of all the things to do. And I I started processing through everything that needed to be dealt with, personally, organizationally, communities. Uh, I just started thinking about everything, all of our campuses, everything that needed to be worked on, dealt with, everything that happens, there's all the storm, you know, we got a couple million dollars basically of damage we got to deal with and, you know, just... Man, so much stuff. And so um, my brain is just processing that. And I'm feeling overwhelmed, just absolutely overwhelmed. And all of a sudden this thought hit me. It's like, Paul, you, you don't have to go through this. You know, you, you could go up in that, back in that mangled 40, 50 acres of woods behind your house and you, you know how to take care of this. You, you don't have to do this. All of a sudden, I'm like, what? It's like, you don't have to do this. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Some, no, no, no. That's not my voice, and that's not God's voice. And it was like one of those Satan, get behind me moment kind of things. Because I want to tell all of you something. You have an enemy out there. His name is Satan. Some of you call him the devil. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And there are some of you going through this season, and that thought has happened in your mind more than once. To the point that you're going like, ah, it might be something I even need to entertain. I want to tell you, that's not your voice, and that's not God's voice. And you need to declare that's not God's voice. And you need to declare it's not your voice. And you don't need to be ashamed if you've had that voice. We would love to talk to you about it. Because see, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to think it's your voice that's saying that. And it's not. Because he's going to come along and he's going to go, hey, there's no point in continuing to be responsible. There's no point in trying to rebuild. There's no point in trying to rebuild your life or your relationships or your finance. I mean, there's no more point taking care of staying in that relationship. There's no more point in just trying to be kind and, and generous to everybody else. I mean, there's just no point in going on at all. I mean, you have to take those kind of thoughts into captivity. You've got to do that. And that's why today we're continuing to remind you of something that is so, so important. And this is especially important if you're on one of our campuses today and, and you're not a Christ follower. Because even if you're not a Christ follower, what happens is it's so easy to dismiss 
you know, what oftentimes Christians believe is kind of like pie in the sky, wishful kind of thinking process. And here's what we hope that you'll never forget. I mean, even if you never become a follower of Jesus Christ, our prayer is that you will. But it's, it's this, and, and it's even for those of you that are coming back to faith. I mean, remember, remember this. The people who brought us the New Testament, the people who told us the narrative, the story of the narrative of Jesus, the people who wrote all of the letters in the New Testament that we call the epistles, it comprises what we call the New Testament. These were men and women who were not unfamiliar with difficulty. These were men and women who were very familiar with difficulty. In fact, if we would compare our lives to their lives, I mean, sometimes it's like their whole entire life, in some case, it was just like one long sequel of events that we would never want to experience at any level, especially compared to our modern 21st century kind of experience. And yet when you look at their lives, you understand they believed they were men and women who maintained faith. And here's the thing that was interesting about them. They didn't struggle with an idea that many of us struggle with that makes us think there's no point in continuing. See, they didn't struggle with the idea that if there's a good God, then good things should always happen to me. And since good things didn't happen to me, there must not be a good God. See, you don't find that in the people who brought us the letters or the epistles of the New Testament or even in the Old Testament. See, they seem to understand something about God that's so easy for us to miss. And so what we want to remind you of today is like one word that the New Testament authors, I mean, and Jesus even more particularly, they reemphasize over and over and over when it comes to those, how you deal with those in the meantime set of circumstances. And it's this one word right here. They just kept reemphasizing, and we're going to dig into why they did. And it's this word here, the word believe. See, when we find ourselves in one of those in the meantime moments, there is something that the New Testament writers and Jesus even himself tells us that we are specifically to believe. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to read you something that was written by someone who was very close to Jesus. But what they say to us, it's not intuitive and it's not natural to our thinking. And yet these words, when we read them, you need to understand something about the history of these words. These words have been so pivotal. They, they have been so catalytic in the lives of so many Christ followers over the centuries. And, and even if you're not a Christ follower, I mean, there's something in these writings for you as well. But these words, they are so central to what we've been taught in our New Testament as it relates to our in the meantime kind of moments or seasons in our life. Now, the person who wrote these words that we're going to be looking at today, his name is James. And what makes this so interesting is that James was the brother of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting about that. James, who was the brother of Jesus, he didn't show up any time during the ministry of Jesus. I mean, it's just kind of like James isn't there. And then at the end, after the crucifixion, James like suddenly shows up and he becomes like a leader in the first century church in the city of Jerusalem. He's like one of the primary leaders. 
And here's why what he says is such a big deal. James suffered enormously because of his faith in his brother. And when you think about James following Jesus, I mean, this is kind of humorous. It's almost amazing when you think about it. But what would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was the son of God, the Messiah? Now, he might think he is, but you know you're not convinced, right? I mean, see, I know what you're thinking, right? There's nothing that he could do. But James came to the conclusion that his brother Jesus was his Lord. And what was it that convinced him? See, it wasn't like the teachings of Jesus. It wasn't the miracles of Jesus. It wasn't even the crucifixion of Jesus. But suddenly, it was like after the resurrection, James got it. James believed it. And James started following. He says, yes, that is my Lord and Savior as well. So James he writes this letter, and he writes this letter to primarily Jewish believers in the first century who are suffering greatly for their faith. And, he, and in his writing, he says, listen, when you're going through these tough times, if you're like in one of these in the meantime kind of circumstances, there is something that you must believe. So that's what we're going to look at today. And if you got your Bibles, you want to follow along, you can follow along in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There's these the scriptures also printed on these talk notes that I told you to take out just a little bit ago. You can follow along there. Here's what he says. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, when you kind of first read this, I mean, you're like, that doesn't even make sense, James. It's like, why would you consider trials of any kind pure joy? Like, why would you do that? Now, this word consider right here, it's a very interesting word because basically what James is saying is this. When bad things happen, when you feel like that you'll never be happy again, when you feel like nothing good can come from this, there's no reason to continue, James said, Instead of thinking those things, I want you to consider embracing a completely different mindset toward the adversity that you're facing in your life. He says, instead of thinking something like, or considering like, man, this is like terrible, this is like the end of the world, my life will never be the same again, I'm never going to be happy again. He says, I want you to consider it a source of something good. And you know, here's the reality. Many of us, we could raise our hands right now and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you haven't heard my story, James. You haven't seen my house. You haven't experienced my marriage. You don't understand what's going on with me physically right now or what's happening to us financially. There, there's no way that this applies to us. And James would go, wait, hang on just a second. Before you make that statement, he says, I want you to consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters when you face and this word for face it is so interesting in the context it's it's used of a robbery that suddenly happens it's it's used of being shipwrecked and in the middle of a storm that springs up on you suddenly it's about something that surprises you takes you by the surprise it's something that you are not expecting he's like so whenever you face something that you're not expecting. You're just kind of going along, you're doing your own thing, you're minding your own business, and, and then all of a sudden, 
there's this like bad set of circumstance, this bad situation that takes you by surprise. He says, I want you to reconsider how you look at that. So James says, listen, whenever you're faced by adversity, when something takes you by surprise, whenever you experience a hurricane, you know, the doctor calls, your sister calls and says, it's not good for mom or dad, or you show up at work and, and the news is not good. He says, instead of assuming the worst, James says, I want you to think differently about adversity. I want you to consider that possibly something good could come out of this. Now, Here's the reality. I would never stand up and tell you this. This is not intuitive. This is not natural to me. We, we wouldn't go around telling people this. This is not our basic human perspective of, of how life works because considering bad as something pure joy makes no sense from a human perspective. But James is telling us something much deeper than what most of us think about most of the time. He says, here's why I'm telling you to consider it pure joy. Look at verse 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, here's why, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you kind of got to hit the pause button right here, because this is a very important idea that he, this because, this reason. See, what James is kind of doing is he's saying, listen, if you stop and think about it, you kind of know this. That whenever you bump into difficulties in life, it always tests the integrity of your faith. I mean, trials in life, they, they just cause you to stop and look up and go, really, God? Like, really? You know, I, I've kind of like always believed, or I was down here minding my own business, and, and I've been good, and I've been good to other people. Why would you allow this to happen to me? And James, he says, listen, I'm acknowledging that trials are a test of our faith. In fact, you could kind of sum it up this way, that trials test the confidence of our faith in God. They really do, don't they, when you think about it. And it's kind of good that James kind of goes here because it lets us know what we're thinking. It's like, yeah, yeah, he knows what we're thinking, what we're struggling with. And then what he begins to do is he begins to point us in a direction that is somewhat uncomfortable for us when we really stop and think about it. But we know that it's true. In fact, the last part of the verse, he goes, listen, here's the deal. The testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces perseverance. And here's what he's saying. Here's really what he's saying. Trials produce persevering faith. I want you to think about that statement. See, if you really stop and think about that statement, you know that it's true because the faith that is impresses you, impresses you the most, if you really stop and think about it, what kind of faith in other people impresses you the most? It's this kind of faith. It's the faith where God says no. It's the kind of faith where somebody gets no answer from God and they continue to endure and believe in God anyway. It, see, the faith that impresses us is not the kind of faith where somebody gets an answer like, you know, real quickly. It's like, you know, I prayed on Thursday and by Friday everything was good. Or it's like I lost my job on Monday and I, fat, uh, I fasted and prayed for a day or so and by Wednesday I had a better job with more money. You know, that, that's kind of an impressive story, but here's the reality. When you hear that kind of story, you know what you think? We think, 
I wonder what the formula is to make that happen. And here's what happens when you hear a story like that. You don't fall more in love with God and believe more in God and grow your faith. No, no, no. You fall in love with the idea of tell me how you did that again. Because when that kind of thing happens to me, I want to get what you got. But God is saying through James, he says, that kind of faith is not the faith that honors me. He says, no, no, no. James, let me tell you. Or you tell the people what kind of faith honors me. It's the kind of faith where a person, they, they believe anyway. They trust anyway. They persevere anyway. See, that's why James says, listen, when the bottom falls out, when things get tough, before you like let your emotions go into a nosedive, before you hit the eject button on your faith, before you quit praying, before you quit reading your Bible, before you quit going to church and say, I don't have time for God because he didn't show up for me. James says, I want you to consider. Consider that God is up to something good. And then James tells us what that thing is that God is up to. God is up to developing, persevering faith in our lives. Now here's the truth. Most of us wanna have strong faith, but most of us don't wanna have persevering kind of faith. See, I don't really want persevering faith. You don't want persevering faith, but persevering faith is really the most honoring to God. And the reason I say that we don't want persevering faith is because of this. The only way you get persevering faith is through trials. Because trials produce persevering faith. See, so what we really mean when we say we don't want it is, listen, we all want persevering faith, but we don't want the process that comes with producing persevering faith. And then James says, okay, if you want this persevering faith, this is the process that happens, but here's what you have to do when you're in one of those in the meantime situations. Here's what he says in verse four. Let perseverance finish its work. Now here's the thing. Most of us don't like this part of the process, but it's so important. See, if you're hit by or impacted by the storm, it's like, it's why we wanna fix things so quickly, right? If your marriage is not right, it's why you wanna fix things so quickly. It's, if your finances aren't right, it's why you wanna fix things so quickly. See, whenever you're facing a trial, God is at work in you, but here's the reality. You can hit the eject button. You, you could hit the divorce button. You could hit the bankruptcy button. You could hit the cheap button, the alcohol button, the drug abuse button. I mean, you could hit the run, I'm gonna escape this kind of button. You, you could hit all kind of buttons to relieve your pain or to relieve your circumstances. And James says, no, no, no. Don't try to escape this too quickly because God is up to something. God is in the process of building the kind of faith that honors him and just awes people. I mean, it's the kind of faith that awes people. He says, so listen, let perseverance finish or complete its work in you. In fact, here, here's his point. That greatest tension that you are feeling in your life right now, it can be the focal point of God's activity in your life if you choose 
to trust the process. See, that thing in your life that, that you don't want and you would not wish it on anybody, that whole thing in your life that you're going through right now that you wish, you just like, man, I wish this could go away, or you're thinking, man, I wish I could go back and, and be before this date and this time, before this experience or this decision. See, he's saying that very thing can be the epic center of God's focal point and activity in your life if you will allow it to be by allowing persevering faith to finish its work in you. Well, let's kind of be honest about this. So some of you have been struggling with your faith or you're kind of coming back to faith because here's what happened. When things got hard, it's like you bailed on faith. But if you really stop and think about it, that did not make your life better, did it? In fact, what happened is life got more complicated. And James would be saying in this passage, he'd go, listen, I'm not judging you. He said, I'm just encouraging you as you're going through this new level of trial, don't make that same mistake again. He says, let perseverance finish its work because at the end of the process, your persevering faith is gonna be more honoring to God and it's gonna leave you in a much better place. And then he goes on, notice what he says. He says, let's per perseverance finish its work so that, so this is a purpose result. He's saying, you need to do this so that something else can happen. And here's what that is. So that you may be mature. Now, this is going to be a new idea for some of you. And you think I'm talking to people who aren't church people. No, this is going to be a new idea for a lot of you who are church people. And the reason is because oftentimes Christian ask, Christians ask the question, how do I become a mature Christ follower? How do I become a mature Christian? And James says, well, you allow perseverance to finish its work. And you're going, yeah, well, that means I got to go through a trial. It means I got to go through a difficulty. You got anything else, James? I mean, he's like, and there's some other way? And James goes, not really. And you, so you come back, well, what if I memorize like a verse every week? You know what I mean? Like if I memorize a chapter every month or something. And James would go, well, that'll make you smarter, but that don't make you mature. You know, you go, well, what if I, like, start obeying every law and every command of God? He goes, well, that'll make you obedient, but that's not going to make you mature. See, in other words, what he's saying is this. If you don't allow perseverance to complete its work, you will never be a mature Christ follower. You will always be lacking something. And not, 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 that's not all he's saying in this statement. He's saying something else. He's saying there's something about perseverance that makes you stronger as a person. There's something about perseverance that makes us deeper as a person. Oftentimes Christians go, I, I just want to become deeper. And James goes, well, then go through a trial. Let God send us real trial in your life. See, there's something about perseverance that makes our story so much more attractive to other people. And this may be a brand new idea to you, especially if you grew up in church, because most of us, it was like, well, just memorize more scripture or just be more obedient, that kind of thing. But the point throughout scripture, if you really stop and think about it, is this. Spiritual maturity is always measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. I mean, think about it. Have you ever met a person who calls himself a Christian that was so good, it was almost sickening? 
Hey, have you ever met somebody like that? This is so good. It makes you sick. I mean, they're just so good. They're so perfect. Everything's together. And you really didn't want to take them out to lunch. And you really didn't want to be around them because they were just so perfect. And while you appreciated their morality and their purity and their ethics, you're, you're thinking, you're not inspiring to me. You're just intimidating to me. I could never be that perfect. And my life could never be that perfect. And then you meet like a different kind of Christian. I mean, you meet this Christian who's like a little rough around the edges and they don't always use like Sunday school language and they don't even have a Sunday school story kind of thing. But man, their confidence in God is so deep. I mean, it's so attractive. And you're just inspired by them, aren't you? And it's like you hear their story. And you hear the story of how they went through trial after trial after trial. And God kept them in this trial for six months and this trial for two or three years and this trial for a longer period of time or a shorter period of time. And they tell their story and they don't use perfect theological language, that kind of thing. They're, they even use some of their non-Sunday school language and that. And, and, and you just listen to their story and you're thinking, wow, this is so inspiring. I'm just so glad to know that that kind of faith can exist in an imperfect kind of person. I'm just glad to know that you can face adversity and you can come out on the other end believing even when you're not perfect. And you don't even know all the scripture, but you can, you can come out and you can win. Do you know why those kind of stories are so inspiring to us? Because they allowed perseverance to finish its work in them. And you look at them, and they're not a good, smart Christian. They're a mature believer. And yes, they're obedient, and yes, they're learning the Scripture, but they've got real maturity in their soul. And you look at them, and you go, they're complete. They're not perfect, but they're complete. You know what they say to God when they go through those difficulties? They go, God, I don't get this. I don't like this, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And see, that's what James is saying. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Now, here's the other thing I like about James. He's a realist, and he's so practical. He's so practical. And so this next part of the verse, he goes, okay, here's where it gets really more practical. Now, many of you have heard this next verse, so don't check out. Because this verse oftentimes gets read by itself. But this verse, verse 5, is completely connected to everything else we've read in verses 1 through 4. In fact, notice what he says because this is the context for verse 5. Here's what he says. If any of you, and what we're going to discover is that's all of us. He says, so if any of you lack wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And so James is saying, listen, I know, I've suffered. He says, I know what it's like to be blindsided. I know what it's like to be doing everything right for God or the best you can for God, and then everything goes wrong. He says, listen, I know what that is. So when you find yourself in one of those in-the-meantime circumstances and your world has gotten flipped upside down and you don't know what to do about your relationship, you don't know what to do about your marriage, you don't know what to do about your finances, you don't know what to do about your future, you don't know about your home or your property, he says, here's what you do. Ask God for wisdom. James is literally saying, just pray this prayer. 
God, show me what's going on. I need wisdom. God, I don't want to quit believing. God, I don't want to escape and run away. I don't want to do something stupid. God, I don't want to compromise my faith or my integrity. God, I don't want to do the easy thing. I don't want to make my life more complicated. God, what I need, I need wisdom. And wisdom within this context, it is simply the ability to see my current circumstances within the broader context of a bigger focus. See, that's what wisdom is, is in general. Wisdom is the ability to see my current circumstance that I am so focused on, that pain that I'm experiencing, that relationship that's not going right, those finances that are just kind of turned upside down. You know, the whole fact that I didn't get the school that I wanted to go into, the house won't sell, or the house is destroyed. See, wisdom is the ability to see what we're frustrated about within a much broader kind of context. Now, here's the thing. If you're a parent, you get this. You get this. I mean, every parent gets this with your kids. See, here's what happens. Your kids come running in the house, and they tell you like their world is falling apart. You know, like they're in elementary school, and they come home, and man, they got, they're all upset, or they're middle school, and they're, they're really upset when they come home then. You know, it's like, and then they're teenage or high school, and they're upset, that kind of thing. And so, like, you listen to their conversation. If you're a good parent, you listen to it with empathy, and you sympathize with them. But isn't it interesting when, what happens when they walk out of the room? You're thinking to yourself, if that's the only problem I had, if all I had was an elementary school problem, or if all I had was a middle school problem, or if all I had was a high school problem, I would give anything for that to be my only problem. And you know why? It's not that you don't care about their problem. It's just you see it within the much broader context. I mean, now you're 35 or 45 or 55 or 65, whatever. And you're seeing, you're seeing their little problem in the context of a much bigger perspective. And you're thinking, that's not really a big problem. Now, if you're a good parent, you don't tell them that. But, you know, it's like you're going, that's just not a big deal. We can work through this. And James is saying... Whenever you find yourself in one of those in the meantime kind of moments, what you need to do is ask for wisdom. Just pray, God, I need a broader context. I need to see things the way that you're seeing. I'm not necessarily asking you to change it. I don't necessarily want to run from it. I want to have persevering faith, so give me wisdom. And James goes on, he says, listen, and God's not going to be upset about that request in fact, he says, you know, what will happen is, is he says, God will answer that prayer if we allow endurance or perseverance to finish his work. He says, he, he'll give generously to all without finding fault. And I just want to go and tell you, in this season of my life, man, I am praying this prayer so many times in a day, I, I can't count it. Because just like the rest of you, I, I'm just desperate for wisdom. I mean, I, I pray this all day long. And so I'm so glad that some years ago, I learned this prayer that I'm gonna give you today that we're gonna challenge you to pray. It's like, God, give me the wisdom to see as you see. Not just to see what I'm seeing, but to see as you see. And see, James says, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's why he says, consider it pure joy when you have all kinds of surprises that kind of take you, that kind of sneak up on you, that kind of wreck your plans. Because he said, in the middle of that, he says, you can allow perseverance to do 
something inside of you. And so when you find yourself like really frustrated or you find yourself really confused, just say, God, I need wisdom. I need to see the way that you see so that I can respond in a way that honors you. Now, James is not done with this practical part of this. In fact, here's what he says you should do. He says, but when you ask, you must, here's our word, you must believe and not doubt. So, so when you ask God for wisdom about your, this took me by surprise, or I don't like this, or I don't see any way to fix this, or I don't see any way forward, or my life's never going to be the same. When you, when you see yourself in this, God, I need a broader context. He says, what you've got to do is you have to ask, and you have to believe. You've got to believe that God is up to something. You gotta be, believe that there is a bigger plan. You gotta believe that there is a personal God who cares for you. So he says, when you ask, believe and don't doubt. And then he tells us why not to doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And not to respect to receive anything is really referring to this one thing called wisdom he says if you if you pray this prayer doubting not believing then you're not going to receive the wisdom they're going to need from god so kind of let's put all this together here's what james is saying really to boil it all together and this is this is big for all of us he's saying whenever you're surprised by adversity whenever the bottom drops out and and you don't feel like you deserved it or you did nothing to cause it I mean, when, when this change happens and it wasn't your idea, you got the phone call, you get the email, you got the letter, you got the envelope from IRS. I mean, it's like, you're, you're thinking, listen, I don't want to open this letter. I don't want to read this email. I don't want to hear what's I mean, being told on the other end. And all of a sudden, for no fault of your own, I mean, it's like your world is just flipped upside down. James says, here's the deal. Don't assume the worst. Don't assume that God has abandoned you. Don't assume that God doesn't care about you. He says, listen, what I want you to do in that moment is I want you to change your way of thinking. I want you to consider that the only way to build enduring, persevering faith is just like you build a muscle. You stretch it and you rest it. You work it and you rest it. And you believe You believe God is up to something, that he is building persevering faith in you. So he says, let perseverance finish its work in you. So in the meantime, in the meantime, here's what James says you do. You believe. You literally believe. Specifically, you believe that God is at work. Now, if you're like me, There are always those moments, my tendency is to believe maybe that God isn't or that God's just kind of lost track of what's going on or maybe God has, you know, abandoned this whole process or, you know, God maybe haven't been keeping like good records of how good that I've been trying to be. But James says, no, 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 that's not the case. I want you to know that God is at work and that God is not only at work, but God is at work in you. And here's what he's doing. He's working in you to create enduring, 
mature faith. See, you, you could just summarize all of this into this kind of bottom line, and that is this. You endure to mature. See, that's what the Bible teaches us, that you endure to mature. See, that maturity is all about not how much you know, not all about how smart you are. It's not about obedience. I mean, all of those things are good. But maturity comes when bad things happen and you choose to believe anyway. You, you decide that God is going to use what he does not remove. So on your way out today, what's going to happen on all of our campuses, we're going to give you a little reminder. And it's a reminder in the form of a prayer, and it's based on what James says in this passage. And it's a prayer that we'd like for you to pray every day this week. And the prayer is simply this. Heavenly Father, I believe you will use this until you choose to remove this. In the meantime, grant me wisdom to see as you see and strength to do as you say. So if you're right in the middle of an in-the-meantime set of circumstances, I'm telling you, and most of us are, pray this prayer every day. And when you do, that, that's your way of choosing. That's your way of making that decision to allow perseverance to finish its work in you. It's, it's how God is going to work in you. It's how God is going to build the kind of confidence that you want to have in God. It's how God makes faith so inspiring to other, your faith so inspiring to other people as they see that you have allowed God to do in and through you the work that he wants to complete in you. And you believe it. And you say, God, you're doing something here. And God, you're going to use it until you choose to remove it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today we start off by just saying, God, we, we really do believe that you'll use whatever we're going through until you choose to remove it. And God, we're asking you to help us to see as you see so that we can live and do in a way that honors you, so that we can allow persevering faith God, to absolutely do its work in us so that we can be complete and mature and lacking nothing. So God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for James. And God, all the things that he went through so that, and he endured so that he could give us this testimony through the scripture of how we can come out on the other side of our in-the-meantime circumstance. And we, too, can have enduring, persevering faith. God, I just thank you. I thank you for what you're going to do in our lives this week as we look to you and we ask for wisdom. But we do it believing, not doubting. And God, I thank you for what you're going to give us, the insight and the change that is going to happen in our hearts and lives, not necessarily with our circumstances, but in our hearts, our lives, and our minds as we get your view and allow you to complete your work in us. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.